Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm back. Your host, Josh. Unbothered. Great to be back. A lot to get into today. But first, since it's been a couple of weeks, I just have to say that it is great to be a Michigan Wolverine. Oh, this is a great show. I can't wait to get into that since missing the past two weeks. Michigan college football playoff is set. The bracket, final rankings, completely agree with everything. Odell sweepstakes, week 13 uh, recap, uh, NFL top 10 lists, Deion Sanders to Colorado, Justin Verlander to the Mets, World Cup quarterfinals is soon upon us. Packed show. Let's get into it. Let's start with the big topic that happened yesterday. Baker Mayfield has been released by the Carolina Panthers. A very interesting uh, event there. It was, you know, announced as a mutual release uh, where, you know, Baker kind of requested it. Carolina agreed, and it was like a cordial ordeal. Everybody was fine. The coach uh, had a press conference and said, you know, this is best for the team. It's best for him. Like, you know, both sides worked it out. We're good. And, you know, that's kind of what I thought. And then DJ Moore said that he was visibly upset. Baker was about, you know, getting cut. Kind of made it seem like Baker got fired. So conflicting there, but this is the one thing I see from Baker. Teammates don't respect Baker. They don't. DJ Moore clearly didn't respect Baker. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson was not hit by Baker. When Baker was going to to leave the Browns, not one player stuck up for Baker. Nick Chubb had some, you know, half-hearted thing to say. Miles Garrett says he's just all right. I mean, nobody came to defend Baker or, you know, advocated for Baker, even though Deshaun Watson was the better talent, you know, at least Baker doesn't have all that misconduct baggage attached to him. But nobody came to Baker's defense. Nobody ever comes to Baker's defense. You know, it's a weird thing. Uh, you know, in life, you know, you want people to defend you, those you work with, you know, to vouch for you and things like that. Uh, you know, when certain things happen, whether it's a promotion or a raise, you know, you expect people to vouch for you, coworkers to, you know, give you a pat on the back, you know, say, hey, he deserves this, he's done that, YZ, uh, he's done that. You know, nobody said, oh, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, in college, he took us to the college football playoffs, we were a couple plays away from beating Georgia, he won the Heisman, we beat Ohio State in Ohio, he came back, he, you know, wasn't the starter, he won a first playoff game for us in 25, 30 years, nobody vouches for Baker, that's because they don't respect Baker, you don't really like Baker, Baker has this, I think, eternal chip on his shoulder, it's Baker versus everybody, and it kind of alienates the teammates. He does a weird thing. He did the headbutt on the guy's helmets to get some attention there. I mean, Baker's a he's a he's an interesting guy. 
to say the least. So now that he's released, is anybody going to sign him? Well, one thing happened this weekend. Jimmy Garoppolo broke his foot out for the season. So the San Francisco Niners were down their quarterback one in the second game, Trey Lance, who they were all in on. Then their backup plan, Jimmy Garoppolo, has been great coming in for relief for Trey Lance, and now he's out. So they're quarterback one and quarterback two are out for the rest of the season, and they have Brock Purdy. Will they sign him? Well, uh, doesn't look that way. Shanahan said the move for Baker Mayfield would surprise him. He thinks they're fine where they're at with Brock Purdy. And that's kind of an indictment there. If a, if a team thinks they're fine with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the this past draft rookie over Baker Mayfield, it speaks volumes to Baker's value and how the notion of what people think around Baker around the league. And there's really no team that needs him. There's no team that I can definitively say that, hey, this guy improves your chances to win. You should go ahead and get him. Uh, I don't see a team here, you know, outside of Carolina, because I think that that team is just quarterback uh, situation is just horrible. But, you know, he was just there. So can't say that. There's, I think Baker Mayfield will be a free agent the rest of the year. I really do, barring something crazy happening the next four weeks in the NFL to where some team would want to sign Baker. But I don't see uh, Baker Mayfield signing anywhere else. And he's in danger of not playing another game in the NFL. Uh, I think teams know he's got too big of an ego to be a backup quarterback. It was evident there in Carolina. So this could be Baker's last stop. It could be a while before we see anything happen with Baker again. Other news in the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, has met with the three teams, the Odell sweepstakes. He's met with the Giants, the Bills, the Cowboys yesterday. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about signing him, but nobody's pulling the trigger. Report just came out that there are concerns over his injury. The Cowboys are concerned that he might not be ready till mid-January. And to me, that makes sense for him to be fully ready where you want him to be. Why do I say that? It's an ACL injury. So Chris Godwin came back super fast uh, from his ACL, but didn't look fully right until kind of, uh, you know, last week, really. Uh, The step wasn't there with Chris Godwin. He tore his ACL November. Uh, Yes, he played in the opening games, but... You know, he went back down with, like, a hamstring, and I didn't think he was ever fully right. So it took him about a year. Jamison Williams, star receiver out of Alabama, drafted by the Detroit Lions, tore his ACL in the national championship against Georgia in January. It's December. This past weekend was the first time he saw the field in limited snaps. Hopefully this week he'll give it more of a full go, but that's 11 months right there. Odell Beckham towards ACL in the Super Bowl. If you're looking around the scope of a Godwin, of a uh, Jamison Williams, 
You know, you're looking at mid-January, like the report said. There's early optimism about mid-November, uh, and now we're into December, and we still don't know the health of his knee, so it is concerning. Uh, and that's why I think the Bills should lock him down. To me, he's a greater, you know, the Giants, it's the homecoming. You know, I think there's a desire to go back to where it all started. But you're going to be asked if you wide receiver one. You would be the best wide receiver on that team. And the expectations, the media capital of the world, I mean, it's uh, it's dangerous there. I would not go to the Giants and also tore your ACL there on the turf. You don't like turf. I don't know why you'd go there. So, to me, I think the Giants are out because you can't be a savior. If he looks at the Giants, this is just a, it's just a hometown thing. You're not winning a Super Bowl. Uh, Daniel Jones is not that guy. This team has been good. I think they've overachieved. I don't think they're a great team. Cowboys, uh, who knows with Jerry Jones, all the options. It's like a mystery in the wind. It's like the Aaron Rodgers of owners. Everything's a you know great mystery. Well, guess what? This is the NFL. This isn't Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes. There's no mysteries to be solved here. It's the NFL. It's usually cut and dry. Uh, I don't think the Cowboys are fully all in. I think the teammates want them. I do think Dak wants them and Micah Parsons and Trevon Diggs want him on the team. But I'm not 100% convinced that Jerry Jones wants him on the team now that they have this report on, you know, just publicly leaking that, hey, if we're not going to sign Odell, because guess what? We're, you won't be ready till mid-January. He's not going to be able to help us because that's a conference championship game, and there's no reason at that point. Well, guess what? I don't think the Cowboys are that good to get into the conference championship game. That's uh, just my two cents on um, the Cowboys, and I'll touch on them more in a minute. But no, uh, why they leak that? Because they're not signing Odell. And Odell... You know, is a piece that, if he was healthy right now, I think would put them right there at the Super Bowl. Uh, because CD Lamb is the number one guy. But he's better than Michael Gallup. I think Michael Gallup's a great player. But Odell Beckham is clearly better than Michael Gallup when healthy. So he'd be asked upon more. I think the whole ordeal that they're making with the Cowboys and Odell is bigger than it's, I think, thought out to be. Again, turf. He's spoken out about turf. I think more vocally. Than anyone else, why risk tearing your ACL on that grass or on that turf? Which brings me to the other team, which has been the most quiet, but I think is the most likely and should sign it, and that's the Bills. Why? Because this isn't a team that has a glaring need for Odell. And he gives him the best chance to win a ring. Oh, that's what he wants? Ring? Best chance to win? Oh, they play on grass? That's nice. So, like I said, Giants would be the wide receiver one. Cowboys wide receiver two, but on the Bills he'd be the wide receiver three. They don't need him. They got Stephon Diggs. They have Gabe Davis for developing a run game with James Cook and Devin Singletary. That looks decent. Josh Allen is superhuman at quarterback. Uh, the defense is great. His best friend Von Miller is on that team, uh, rehabbing and hoping you know to play into the season, beginning of the playoffs. And the Bills have the number one seed. This lines up perfectly for a mid-January return to where he can play in like a, the first game of the playoffs with the Bills and put them over the top. I mean, if you're the Bills, right now you have the one seed without Odell. And if it's going to be a tough finish to the season, who knows if 
They'll get it. Cincinnati still plays him, the Chiefs. But let's say they end up with a one seed. And that whole, this whole season, they played without Odell. Odell comes back for the divisional round against, you know, the Titans or the Chargers or some team there. They have Odell, and you can incorporate him in the lineup against a, really a tune-up game there before the championship game where you're, I think, playing either the Bengals or the Chiefs. To have Odell at that spot, to me, that's – I'm sorry, but I love Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. But give me Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Odell Beckham over that trio with Josh Allen. That's special. Same with Patrick Mahomes and the weapons he has. That, to me, uh, I think Odell, I know he wants to build a house and start a life and, you know, have a long-term deal. But it's hard to do that after an ACL procedure. I think his best shot getting his value back to where it was pre-Super Bowl is getting back into the Super Bowl and having one-on-one matchups, and that's with the Buffalo Bills. I like him to the Buffalo Bills. I know everybody's talking about the Giants and Cowboys, and the Bills are kind of pushed aside, but I like the Bills. I'm calling my shot. I think the Bills, best spot for him. If I was Odell, I'd sign with the Bills, uh, regardless, if, even if it's a less amount of money. I think the Giants can give you the most. I think the Cowboys, you know, will give you a fair offer, and the Bills will give you like a, you know, team-friendly offer, but I'd choose Buffalo any day of the week over those other two situations. Just a lot of noise around Giants and Cowboys. That's all it is, just noise. So now on to some Week 13 games. You know, it's tough, you know, when I opened this uh, episode today, it was, do I go with, you know, the Michigan Wolverines, who is, you know, my team, Said they'd be 13-0 and just about hit a home run on that one and my predictions, which I'll get into later. Or do I open with the GOAT? Tom Brady, who looked very goatish yesterday on Monday Night Football. Tampa Bay Buccaneers pulling it out versus the New Orleans Saints and what was, to me, an epic game. Not, you know, a game of epic proportion, back and forth. But considering the stakes involved that New Orleans could win this game, be a game behind from the division, they have a bye week. Tampa Bay's got the 49ers, Bengals coming up. New Orleans could be sitting there in prime position if they win. And it looked that way. They were up 16-3 to near the end of the fourth quarter with five minutes left. But Tampa Bay ran basically two two-minute drills in the final five and a half minutes of the game to win that game. And it was brilliant to watch. Uh, Engineering both those drives, Tom Brady uh, there. The, you know, first drive to get a touchdown, we're down 16-3. to 91-yard drive, 10 plays, 2 minutes, get the touchdown. Defense, great job with the stop. Then, after that, 11 plays, 63 yards, two minutes touchdown. And it, it got me thinking, because the first drive for Tampa was really good. It was great, uh, except they couldn't punch it in into the end zone. It was 16 plays, 72 yards. Uh, it took eight minutes off the clock, but couldn't punch it in. Field goal, you know, kind of felt like a gut punch there. Then they do nothing after that. It's a couple of 
punts. It's, you know, a nice drive, a fumble, and, you know, kind of nonchalant enough that it doesn't look sharp. And then it's like game time. We've got to have these next two drives, and everything clicks offensively. I just think the Bucks should do that more because the last two drives there, the defense was obviously on their heels. That's when the offensive line played the best. They were able to get separation, and that's when Tom Brady, in those short drives, in the two-minute drives, he dissects the defense better than anybody else. It's a artist at his best. It's, you know, a master at work there. It was great just pre-snap. He's a, he knows everything that happens pre-snap. He knows who's blitzing, who's not blitzing, uh, what's happening. Zone, man. He dissects that also. He knows that right out of the spot, he's throwing it to Kate Auden, or he's throwing it to Chris Godwin, or, oh, this is my shot now deep to Mike Evans or Julio Jones. That's how great he is. They need to rely on that more. I think they need to operate a two-minute offense more. And I know you don't want to do that. You want a methodical drive, drain the clock, get the points. But sometimes those jumps don't work. Why? Because the defense can then substitute. You're substituting. Yes, it slows down the game. But if Tom Brady can do this, it's just, why not do this early and often to then get ahead? Because I like the first drive. You know, first drive, you know, either 15 to 20 plays, scripted with the offensive coordinator, and then that kind of gets you going the rest of the game. So they can run scripted plays just well. If it's kind of the middle sluggish part, it's like a great first quarter, that second and third, and then, oh, we got to pick it up in the fourth and pull this one out, which it, it, it isn't sustainable by any means. But if your scripted plays work and you can run an effective two-minute drill, uh, keeping the defense on the field, slowing them down, I think you got to use that to your advantage. I think you've got to see, hey, I know this is the NFL. College teams play with tempo. We don't play with tempo. But I think the Bucks have to do that. I think they have to lean into tempo, lean into Tom Brady. Guess what? He threw the ball 54 times. In the past two years, I think people, quarterbacks have threw the ball 50 times. I saw the stat there like 8 in 26, and Tom Brady's like 6 and 3. So it's pretty magnificent that Tom Brady can still do this at 45 years old. Uh, So he was great in the final two drives. Missed a couple deep throws early in the game to Mike Evans. Couple wrong reads. But again, the two-minute drill is when he operates at his best. Please do more of that. Uh, But the Bucks defense was outstanding last night. Uh, Again, great job stopping the run. 66 yards only. For the Saints, uh, I thought Andy Dalton had a good game, but Tampa Bay just made bigger plays when they needed to. This was a huge win for Tampa to stay number one in the NFC South uh, right there and, you know, kind of pace uh, with some of those other teams. So great win. Uh, I thought Leonard Fournette was, you know, effective when he needed to be. Rashad White game when he touched down. Uh, I thought Tampa Bay was ju- just did enough. That's all you can ask for, just doing enough, surviving till the next day. But can't say enough good things about Tampa Bay and that one yesterday. That was very impressive. What else is there to get to from Week 13? Oh, the Dallas Cowboys. Let's talk about the Cowboys. 54 
to 19. The Cowboys won 33 to 0 alone in the fourth quarter. Just absolutely run up on the Cow on the Colts, having fun. And, and it, to me, it was a crazy game because watching it was 21-13 at halftime. Dallas felt close. Colts get the touchdown, failed a two point conversion, and you're like, "Hey, it's 21-19 going into the fourth quarter." Like. The Colts aren't very good, and yet we have ourselves a game. And then Matt Ryan sort of imploded. It was three interceptions. It was fumbles. It was all-time collapse and choke job, which we've seen Matt Ryan do in the Super Bowl. So why not do it on a Sunday night football game? It's just your MO to choke like that. But this is the typical Dallas Cowboys. This is oh so typical of the Dallas Cowboys to run it up like that. It's what they do. They want to run it up. They have a team that wants to inflate to make it seem like, hey, we're really good. We got number one point differential now in the NFL. Where, you know, where the team to be? Why? Because guess what? They did that a few weeks ago. Or, you know, it's actually more of a pattern. They did it to the Bears, really ran it up on them in the fourth quarter, won by 20 points. Following week, lost in overtime to the Packers. Following week, ran it up on the Vikings, 40-3. to Came back, beat the Giants in a close game, 28-20. to The Giants self-inflicted wounds, just kind of shot themselves and not just a flip up a head back game uh, and kind of killed a lot with momentum going there. And then they run it up on the Colts. Now they get lucky because they play the Texans. They're 17-point favorites, huge spread for the NFL. But I like that game to be closer than people think I do, uh, you know, Cowboys just can't do it. It's like, you know, we're going to expect the Cowboys uh, to beat the Texans, beat the Jags, and then it sets up this Christmas Eve showdown between the Eagles and the Cowboys in Dallas. You know, tough three games to finish out the season, which to me is a defining stretch for them. Eagles, Titans, and Commanders, those latter final two games on the road there. That's going to show those final three games, what the Cowboys are made of. I'm not going to judge it off a of Colts loss because the Colts are terrible. They are. Uh, but those final three games, I'll see what Dallas is made of because when they look good, they look good. People crown them the champs. But I'll hold off. I'll hold off on that one. Las Vegas, or Las Vegas and the Chargers. Las Vegas won 5-7. and seven, And Las Vegas is doing pretty well. I predicted them to go 10-7. and seven. Of course, they'd have to win out. That seems unlikely. But the Raiders are doing all right ever since losing to Jeff Saturday. Uh, they've won three games in a row. They've beat the Broncos in overtime. Great performance by Devontae. and an all-time performance by Josh Jacobs. Overtime win against the Seahawks. Came back on track. Devontae again, Chargers. Raiders are looking good. Uh, you know, if Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs can keep this up, uh, watch out because maybe they could sneak in if they do win some final games now, especially after beating the Chargers. And now Vegas is back in the hunt for the final playoff spot. But the Chargers, all-time disappointment. Brandon Staley has to be gone like yesterday. Talented roster. To me, this was the top-five roster coming into the year for this league. Yes, there's been injuries. But great coaches can overcome injuries when those close games. Brandon Staley just can't. He's not that guy. He's not the head coach. They needed the offensive-minded coach who can work with Justin Herbert. I mean, Justin Herbert made one of the greatest throws I've ever seen 
on the run to Keenan Allen on a like fourth and twelve, just dropped a dime. Keenan Allen one handed catch. I mean, it was just great to see. And that's that's Justin Herbert right there. That's what he can do uh, on one play. But he's also methodical. He can drive it down. Justin Herbert's one of the best quarterbacks. Brandon Staley. Uh, it's just you know sitting there watching him rot. It's terrible to watch Staley on the sideline just be so incompetent with this offense and uh, get shut down uh, the way they do with such an electric player at your quarterback position. So charges order of business, fire Staley. Another great game. Kansas City and Cincinnati. This is when a lot of people were like, Cincinnati, you know, this is Kansas City's revenge game. I had people telling me that Kansas City was going to win this one. They were getting it out at a pub on Sunday watching this. I had my Joe Burrow on, and there was a bunch of St. Louis heads up there, you know, happy that, you know, Kansas City was keeping it close. But in the end, Cincinnati does what Cincinnati does. Cincinnati wins these games against Patrick Mahomes. This is the team built to beat Patrick Mahomes every time they play. This is like a Kyle Shanahan versus Sean McVay, Zach Taylor versus Andy Reid. The Bengals just understand the assignment and know how to execute it perfectly against the Chiefs. Joe Burrow is cool, calm, collected. He's not worried about Chris Jones or Dunlap. He can get the ball out quickly to Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase can make men miss. He can throw it to T. Higgins. Tyler Boyd can drop a wide-open touchdown pass, and they can still win the game. They can get the run game going, even with Joe Mixon up there and Samaji P. Ryan. This defense, who to me is a great defense, with Trey Hendrickson, uh, you know, number one uh, a completion percentage allowed right there. I think they allow opposing quarterback 59%, lowest in the league. Guess what, Patrick Mahomes? 59%. His weakest games have been either against Tom Brady's three times defense or Cincinnati's uh, three times defense, three times this calendar year. Because uh, they can get to him with a four-man pass rush. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, Hubbard, great names, not household names, but they become household every time they play Patrick Mahomes. They like to get to Patrick Mahomes. They forced a fumble on Kelsey. I mean, again, this team is built to beat Mahomes in I know Mahomes can't play defense because, uh, obviously, Cincinnati just works this defense. Uh, the Bengals had 431 total yards uh, to Cincinnati's 349. Uh, yards per play were the exact same, 6.5, 6.5, same amount of drives, 8-8. Eight to eight. Passing, Joe Burrow outplayed Patrick Mahomes, like I said. 286 yards, two touchdowns, 71 a QBR, and 126 passer rating. Rushing Cincinnati was more effective. Uh, and since he was in the red zone a lot, controlled time of possession, uh, since he can do it. Since he is that team. And now we see Kansas City against the, the other AFC heavyweights. To me, there's a big three in the AFC. It's been since last year. The Bengals, Bills, Chiefs. Guess who's beat the Chiefs? The Bills and the Bengals. Chiefs couldn't win on the road against Cincinnati. They couldn't defend their home against the Bills. That's worrisome come playoff time because probably you're going to have to play both these teams unless you're the one seed. That's where the one seed gets a huge advantage, in my opinion, because you've got to play one of these teams 
not to. So that's why to me the Bills are in primo position. But now the Bengals have the tie break in case they have the same record. Bills have the tie break. Uh, Chiefs haven't had the hardest schedule this year. I, I apologize, they haven't. It was supposed to be difficult beginning of the year. But the Broncos, again, underperformed. Chargers have been their closest games. Titans are fluky. Same with the 49ers, Rams, you know, Bucks, Car. I mean, it was supposed to be tougher, but it, it just isn't. So the really good ASD teams they play, they lose. They're 0-2 against those teams. So I am worried about the Chiefs. No Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill doing great in Miami. And the Chiefs not having big playability. They just don't. They can't hit a big play for a touchdown. Uh, I think it's kind of impossible for them to do that now in the NFL. Miami can do it. They do it quite often. They did it twice uh, against the 49ers defense. But the Chiefs just can't. Speaking of San Francisco and Miami, Miami lost, San Francisco won. Big takeaway here was the health of Jimmy Garoppolo, who broke his ankle, not coming back this year. Brock Purdy came in in relief and looked good. 25 to 37, 210 yards, two touchdowns and just one interception. Looked great. Christian McCaffrey involved in both phases of football. He was good. And then in the fourth quarter, the defense really took over. Uh, fumble return for a touchdown and interception. I mean, defense went to work there on Tua. I think Tua's good, but to me, this was the toughest defense he's faced all season. In the 49ers, 49ers got the win. Again, it was the teacher of a student. It was Mike McDaniel going up against Kyle Shanahan. Their former days in San Francisco, Mike McDaniel serving as the OC, their offensive coordinator. And Shanahan knew what he was doing. You know, Mike McDaniel got him early, first play of the game there. Uh, but after that, it was all San Francisco from there. Uh, San Francisco played a great game. You know, I think they can still win football games with Brock Purdy. It would be an amazing achievement. Uh, and I still think they can do it uh, moving forward. It's going to be more difficult because this is Brock Purdy. He's a rookie. All this is new to him in the NFL, but I think he's a great player uh, in the system that Kyle Shanahan uh, can and will run with him. Next, the Detroit Lions one. Jacksonville was the favorite, uh, and I thought that was weird because I thought Detroit was just better offensively uh, than Jacksonville. And that proved to be true. Detroit put a 40-piece on uh, Jacksonville. You know, a lot of numbers, you know, don't catch your eye. Teams can routinely score 20, 30 points. I mean, don't really catch your eye. But when you score 40-plus, that catches your eye. So the two biggest numbers everybody talks about this weekend has been the Cowboys, which scored, they scored 54 on the Colts. And the other number has been the Jaguars, when they, you know, scored 40. A line scored 40 on them. And they just did it methodical. It was, you know, methodical drive, Jamal Williams touchdown, methodical drive, a minor on St. Brown. Three field goals in the second quarter. And then a methodical drive, DeAndre Swift touchdown. Another methodical drive, Monroe St. Brown four yard touchdown. All the touchdowns were, you know, 10 yards or less. It wasn't big strike ability. But the Detroit Lions have a good offense. 
They can move the ball efficiently. They had 337 passing yards, 100 gushing yards. They were 4 for 4 in the red zone. They committed one penalty. They dominated the time of possession, 37 minutes to 23. That is a recipe for winning football games. Now, a lot of people call me crazy. I said, look out, Detroit Lions be 7 and 10. 1 and 6 was getting worried, but I stuck with it. Now they're 5 and 7. They are in the playoff hunt. They have a tiebreak over both the Giants and the Commanders. Things aren't looking good for Detroit. They got the pivotal game against the Vikings. Dan Campbell expects an electric atmosphere. I expect an electric atmosphere. Uh, sort of like a playoff game, you win this, your playoff chances increase greatly. You lose, uh, I think the playoffs are all but over for you. The Vikings officially win the division. But this game is a big, big game for the Detroit Lions there uh, before we play their next two games on the road. This would be a huge win for the Detroit Lions. I think they can do it. They did it last year in Detroit against the Minnesota Vikings again when nobody gave them a chance. I think Detroit can pull off the upset this week. Uh, and they showed they can put points up, a lot of points up. You know, great, great team there uh, in Detroit. Another team I want to mention, Denver and Baltimore. Denver, I thought, would win this one. I mean, I mean Baltimore, my bad. Uh, but Lamar Jackson goes out early. He has a PCL injury, so he's expected to be out one to two weeks. So uh, that is sort of an issue there because they definitely need him. His offense has not looked that good without him. It's nice that Tyler Huntley got the game-winning drive uh, there at the end to give him a 10-9 lead. But they couldn't do much of anything. Yes, Tyler Huntley, I think, is a capable backup quarterback because, hey, he was in six games last year and looked good. He did. He did. So he comes back in uh, this time against the Broncos win. But one to three weeks, you know, it's not like they have a tough finish of the season. Lamar could be back, uh, you know, final two games against Steelers and Bengals need him. But Steelers this week, Steelers are coming on strong. That's a tough one. Uh, at Cleveland, Browns, uh, I'm still not sold on the Browns. And then the Falcons, who can, uh, you know, sometimes do it. So it's interesting. Uh, Ms. Lamar Jackson injury. You know, he took the bet on himself this year. You know, the fully guaranteed contract he wanted. And I'm not playing out, you know, for him, I think, the way he wanted. When you take a bet on yourself, you look at Aaron Judge, and you're like, that's the best bet on yourself in history. And I think we have to tamper our expectations back. Uh, because he's been good, hasn't been great. I think his, you know, his accuracy is, and his command of the pocket has been good. But this is the thing with Lamar. It's the injuries. This year, he has an injury. Last year, injury. Uh, not going to say he's injury-prone. He's an injury-prone quarterback. But there's injury concerns with Lamar Jackson. That comes with a type of style that he plays in. That's why you want a quarterback like a Burrow, a Mahomes, a Brady, a Herbert, who can stand in the pocket and get it done. 
I'm worried about Lamar in his health long-term in the NFL. I don't know if he can play a 17-game season. It greatly hurts their chances when he's not in. Then a couple of other nice notes. One, Tennessee and Philadelphia. A.J. Brown's revenge game. Uh, you can call it. He said this one was circled, and he showed up. Eight receptions, 119 yards, two touchdowns. This was great. I mean, Eagles last week put up like 350 rushing yards against the Packers. Jalen Hurts was closing in on Justin Fields' single-game record. Didn't get there, but he looked great. Looked like a great running team. Then they flipped the script yesterday, and it's the exact opposite. Jalen Hurts throws for 380 yards, and they rush the ball all right, not great. But it's like one of three times ever where a team had 350 rushing yards and then followed it up with a 350-plus yard passing performance. I mean, going to have to start giving some credit to Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts, even though it hurts, uh, pun intended. But we'll see how they fare in the playoffs. That's where you're measured to me. And then Green Bay owns the John Pat Bears. You know, it, it starts as something funny last year. Aaron Rodgers doing the I own you, I still own you. Earlier this season, uh, you know, Green Bay, Chicago plays early Sunday night football game. Green Bay wins, and Aaron Rodgers recounts the history. The times he and the Packers have historically beat the Bears, and it was like, oh, wow. And then earlier this week, uh, last or last week, my bad, uh, Christian Watson or Alan Lazard says, you know, Aaron Rodgers has to renew his membership twice a year, so this is coming up. His ownership twice a year, this is coming up. And everybody's like, oh, here we go, Chicago. Early 10-0 lead, 16-3 lead in the second quarter. And it's like, hey, are the Packers going to stop it? 19-10 uh, to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Nope. Aaron Rodgers and this team still owns you. And then after the game, he salutes the fans. Uh, he says that he loves the fans of Chicago. This is his second home to have second favorite place to play. I mean, just absolutely mocking and trolling the Chicago Bears. Great to see. I mean, I do feel bad because Justin Fields uh, didn't have his best game. Two interceptions out of the five incompletions that he threw. Kind of unlucky there, but he was great again on the, on the ground running the football. Uh, Chicago Bears officially eliminated. Uh, from the playoff race. And now we can keep track of that because teams are officially eliminated. Houston, only team in the AFC, mathematically out. And Chicago, only team in the NFC, mathematically out. If they would have won, still could have kept some hope, but they are mathematically out of the playoffs. There you go, folks. Big one there. Now time to go to my NFL top 10. So we've recapped week 13. Who are my top 10 teams of NFL after week 13? Let me just say, the 10th spot, this spot that I'm about to rank, was the hardest one. Because there's kind of tears to this. The 10th was, really? I got to pick it. I should really make a top 9. But that's kind of like a cop-out, you know, really top 9. You can't put a 10th team in there. But the 10th team's presented no viable options. Giants, do they sound like a top 10 team? The Jets, you know, like White, really. Tennessee, after... Starting good. They've looked very bad recently. Washington, the tie. Uh, I mean, New England, Chargers. And I had to put a team in there, so I did. 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why I put them at 10 over uh, other teams like the Giants and the Titans and the Jets, they got the best quarterback. They got the GOAT. The GOAT proved it last night. Again, he's a GOAT. The touchdown or the interception to pass attempts ratio is the best in the NFL. He takes care of the football. Uh, he's able to command the offense still. The defense is really good. It's top five in yards. It's top five in points. Uh, passing is great. Rushing kind of had the aberration there. Uh, when their players were hurt, Winfield and Bea and Akeem Hicks, and, you know, the couple teams were able to run on them. But to me, that was kind of like an aberration, a, you know, two-time thing with the players injured. But now, uh, defense is back healthy and may look good, even without Antoine Winfield. Uh, yesterday they won. They looked decent. And to me, out of all the teams, I'm putting Tampa there for 10th spot. Uh, I'm sorry. You can talk about Minnesota and winning close games, but nobody wants to face the GOAT in a close game. Number nine, Baltimore Ravens. They were going to be higher, but they took a hit. Why? The injury to uh, Lamar Jackson takes a hit, but they're still 8-4. and four. They're still a top the division, which says something, but now it's going to be a test for them to stay atop uh, the division as well. You know, their output recently has been kind of wonky. It's, you know, put up a great performance against the Saints, you know, hit kind of a wall against the Panthers, back on top against the Jaguars, good offense, and then, again, bad offensive showing um, against the Broncos. So I'd like to see a bit more consistency from them moving forward. But a healthy Lamar Jackson uh, does help this team out. Number eight, I do respect head-to-head, not going to lie. Miami is ahead of them. And what, to me, was their worst showing of the year against the uh, San Francisco 49ers. But to me, San Francisco has the best defense in the NFL. This is the first time Tua's truly been uh, tested like this and has been under pressure like this. And I'm sorry, Miami, you're there at eight, but you still got Tyreek Hill. Your goals are still in front of you, but that was a big loss because now the Bills are ahead of you in the division. You cost that spot there. And the team that beat you is number seven on my list. The San Francisco 49ers, who I think have the best defense in all of football. To me, they are also one of the best in their division. Uh, They're 4-0, only team that can say they are 4-0 in their division. Uh, They beat their division teams. They beat good teams. They beat all teams. Uh, I like the San Francisco 49ers. They also have the longest winning streak in the NFL, which is a five-game winning streak. Uh, even looked impressive with Brock Purdy. I keep them there at five. Or there at seven. Six, the Minnesota Vikings. Six, really? How are the Vikings so low? They're 10-2. and two. Well, guess what? I do respect wins. But there's some other things I respect. The ability how you win your games. Nine of their ten wins are one-score games outside of that opening Green Bay Packers win, which was more than a single-possession game. They're 9-0. It's all been nine scores. It's not sustainable. I'm glad they can win close games. It's needed. But it's not sustainable. Why? Because the point differential is plus 10. You look at other great teams, the teams I'm about to name, oh, or even the teams behind them. I'll, I'll do that first before I mention the teams ahead of them. 49ers I just had behind them. Point differential, plus 92. Minnesota's, plus 10. Plus 10. Baltimore's, plus 49. Miami, the most comparable team. 
is plus 10. They're more on an 8-4 and four track than a 10-2 and two track. Even the Patriots, who are 6-6, six and six, are a plus 23. The Jets, who are 7-5, are a plus 29. To me, they're the worst 10-2 team I've ever watched in my whole life. And it kind of reminds me, too, of the Seahawks. A few years ago, they won their division. They were 12-4, and four, I believe. Again, they were, like, dominant in one possession games. They found a way to win. And then first round of the playoffs, hit a wall against the Rams. Could have won the game. I worry about that for the Minnesota Vikings. I believe they are a one-and-done playoff team. Number five, the Dallas Cowboys. A team that put the herd on the Vikings a few weeks ago. They are number one in point differential, plus 127. They've won three games in a row. They're 9-3. and three. They're playing some of their best football. But I think they're streaky. I don't trust Mike McCarthy. But I respect that Tony Pollard is great. Dak Prescott, when he's on, he is really on, and this is a really good football team. I keep the Cowboys there at five. Four of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, I know, have just lost. Mahomes' first loss in, like, maybe December ever. Uh... He's great. Plus 80. Point differential. They're 9-3. Uh, they're a great football team. Patrick Mahomes is great. Travis Kelsey is great. Andy Reid is a genius. Uh, worried about their defense and facing other great teams in the AFC, but Kansas City is a real deal. Number three, the team that just beat Kansas City, the Cincinnati Bengals. I have them at three. They're 8-4. and four. They've won four in a row, which is second to the Niners. For a win streak, they're plus 57, better than the Vikings. They're getting it clicking. They were able to win without Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon. They get Jamar Chase back. They're winning. Uh, that eases the pain. Samaji P. Bryan has picked up the slack from Joe Mixon, turning into a good option now uh, while he's recovering. So from a concussion protocol, Cincinnati is a very, very good team. Two, the Buffalo Bills. Top the AFC, 9-3, second in point differential, plus 124, three-game winning streak. Run game is looking better now with James Cook and Devin Singletary. Still sprinkling in Josh Allen runs. Just makes them better. Josh Allen making great throws. The one he made to uh, Gabe Davis the other night against the Patriots Thursday night football was immaculate. I mean, Josh Allen can play football. If this defense can just hold together, while Von Miller recovers, uh, I think it will be really good and beneficial for this team moving forward. And the number one team, the Philadelphia Eagles, who are 11-1, best record in the NFL, uh, point differential of 112. They've won three in a row. Uh, Jalen Hurts has been great this year. He's a truly he's truly an MVP candidate, which is never I thought I'd say that in my life, especially considering that playoff loss last year. Uh, against the Buccaneers, but Philly not only looks the part, they're playing the part, they're hammering on all cylinders, they get Jordan Davis back from injured reserve this week, hopefully that shores up the rush defense with the signings of Joseph and Donald Kongsu. Uh Watch out, this Philly team could somehow be even better than this 11-1 team that we see. So that's my NFL Top 10. There you have it, Bucks, Ravens, Dolphins, Niners, Vikings, Boys, Chiefs, Bengals, Bills, and Eagles. 
now moving on to some college football. Uh, not going to get into this too much. I'll touch on it more in future episodes. But was I ever so close? Could I have ever been closer? Uh, my preseason prediction for the college football playoff, if you don't remember, this was my college football playoff prediction. I said Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Ohio State. I was so close. I got three out of the four teams, and a lot of people were like, that's just playing it safe. I'm playing it smart. If I was a betting man, I'd bet on all those teams, and I was close. I got three out of the four teams in the playoff. I said Michigan was going to run the table. I said they would be better than last year with J.J. McCarthy. Guess what? Everybody talked about the loss of Aiden Hutchinson, the loss of David Ajabo. Oh, Josh Gaddis leaving. Oh, Mike McDonald leaving. And Michigan is somehow better than they were last year. Better defensively by about five points per game. Better offensively uh, with J.J. McCarthy. The best scoring margin in college football, 13-0. Whooped up on Ohio State by 22. Won the Big Ten Championship again. That's a prediction, right? Georgia, 13-0. I thought, hey, soft schedule. Tennessee was good. Congratulations. It's a very good season. Uh, but, you know, Georgia can do it. Ohio State, I thought their only loss would be to Michigan right on that one. I didn't expect Alabama to lose two games. Thought they'd lose one. Again, play and, you know, have it set out to my top four teams. So I was close. Alabama finished number five. So four out of the five, four out of the five spots, uh, pretty good. But TCU was in there. And to me, it just feels like, can we just have a one versus two matchup? Really? Georgia-Michigan, the only two undefeated teams. Just go back to the old days for this one. Georgia-Michigan is the matchup. I like Ohio State, but Jackson Smith and Jigba declaring for the draft. A lot of people were talking about getting this team back fully healthy. Well, that option's gone. And other than that, this team, Marvin Harrison's healthy. Fleming's healthy. Ibuka's healthy. healthy. Yes, you get your running game going. But Georgia, Jalen Carter getting more healthy, dominate. I, I think Georgia is going to beat Ohio State. I think if they can hang around Ohio State, but they're going to win. Michigan, TCU. I don't even see this one being close. I mean, uh, this isn't just the inner Michigan Wolverine fan of me talking. But I really don't see this game at all being close. I think TCU has a tendency to, you know, have a second half, like, explode. But Michigan is a good second-half team, better than TCU and coming back. They're a team that's usually already up, and then they just don't let you get any points in the second half. It's a conundrum. Uh, so if Michigan's up, you know, by a couple touchdowns at that point, Max Duggan, think you should be the Heisman winner, uh, but you're not coming back. The I uh, completely agreed with the rankings that came out, Georgia 1, Michigan 2, TCU 3, despite the loss in the conference championship. Just because they got there, they lost, they had a 12-0 season, something Ohio State didn't do, Alabama, Tennessee, Clemson, and the rest. So you have that. And then I also want to mention one thing. But one thing I was the happiest about, and that was USC not making it. Uh, Caleb Williams needs to grow up. I hear a lot of people listen to in sports media, Caleb Williams next year. Generational talent will be the first-round pick. I don't think he's a – he's a typical Lincoln – Riley quarterback. And Riley, uh, and those quarterbacks all have to limit now in the NFL. Baker Mayfield was a Lincoln Riley Heisman winner. Now he's struggling to even find a job. Uh, you know, attitude issues. That's what he's had. 
Kyler Murray, same thing. Attitude issues, the studying, the contract addendum. It was all weird and rough personality. Lincoln Riley quarterback. I see the same thing from Caleb Williams. I think he's more talented than I've seen uh, so far, but that just could be this offense, you know, Jordan Addison and the great weapons around him. But I see immaturity issues. Who paints their nails? And I'm not saying that, like, you know, what man paints their nails. That's totally fine. You want to paint your nails, that's your thing. But when you paint your nails, you know, F the other team, you know, bleep the other team, bleep Utah, uh, that shows a very low maturity level. And it shows that you just need to grow up. It worked against Notre Dame. But the whole segment on Fox before with uh, Reggie Bush and Leinhardt and the painting of the nails and getting the bleep Utah out there was, I thought it was a bit much. I thought it was going to come back to bite him. And I thought, hey, this guy has some maturity attitude issues. And he, and it, he does. And Utah hammered him. Not only Caleb Williams, but this team, Cam Rising, that I hope he liked it. And, you know, Utah is just a better, more mature, disciplined team. Kyle Whittingham is a better coach than Lincoln Riley. Uh, and it was great to see. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams is that typical, loud Lincoln Riley quarterback. And I don't know if that success translates to the NFL. Does it translate into being the number one overall pick? Yes, it worked for Baker. It worked for Kyler. But does it long-term? So far, not for Baker. Got Kyler a long-term contract, but... I'm not sold, and I don't know if a lot of others are sold on Kyler as well. Then, last thing I want to touch on, because I'm already feel like I'm going over, is the Deion Sanders hire. I thought this was an excellent hire for Colorado, getting Deion Sanders. Thought it was great. You know, they're to you know come in, turn around a bit. They're one and eleven, but hey. Jackson State was like 4-8. and eight. He comes in the next year, kind of halfway through the season, has a couple losses. They play better. Then it's like 11-1, and one, and then they go undefeated this year. So he can recruit. He can work the transfer portal. It's going to go well. But I have one problem with Deion Sanders, uh, and that was the public, you know, team meeting that he held. And he basically said, uh, some of it I'll quote, and he said, uh, you know, I brought my own luggage with me and it's Louie. So make your way out, enter the transfer portal so, you know, we you can make, we can make room. So he's telling his the Colorado players there to go enter the transfer portal because we have no use for you. We're not going to use you. You're not any good because I want to bring my own players in and I want to work it. Uh, I'm fine. You know, with that attitude, if it's private and if you keep it to yourself and you can kind of conduct a team meeting without it being public, but the fact that he was public, smiling about it in front of the players, it came off uh, a bit snarky, a bit condescending, a bit rude, and just a bit like a jerk. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how that's going to work for Dion, you know, because Colorado is in the Pac-12 this following year. Uh, they have to play at TCU. Nebraska, Matt Rule is the coach there. I think it would be good. You still have to play like at USC, uh, UCLA, Utah. You know, the Pac-12 is decent. Oregon next year. 
So, Colorado, Dion, just warn you, some of these players, they transfer, you know, not all bad players. If they have to play you again, uh, guess who they're going to play their best against? They're going to play their best against you and on the sideline, you're going to be like, what's this guy? Why is he doing this to our team? And, oh, crap, he was a Colorado Buffalo. And I said, get the heck out of this program. And now he's going to turn it up against me. It's just one thing. I worry about, but other than that, I think he'll be a good coach. But I didn't like that handling of his players uh, that he represents now. Tell them all to pack it and leave. So didn't like that, but we'll see how it turns out. I think Colorado's will be a frisky 4-18 and next year. I really do. But this has been Unbothered. It's great to be back. Talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody.